0: Good morning, everybody. I want you to know it's good to be back in God's house with you today and to be able to worship our Lord with God's people. It's an awesome privilege, and I thank God for it. Saturday night was a week ago at exactly 9.57. I received a text message from Eddie Drake, which I think defines his heart, his heart for God. His heart for God's work, his heart for God's church, his heart for Joyce and myself, and for the people of Panama City, the text message simply stated, you got to remember, he's, they've driven back, they're here, I'm still on my way back, and his message said, should we reload and meet you there tomorrow night? In other words, do we need to return and continue the work that God has given us to do? I confess to you that I rode all the way back asking myself the same question. And I have not stopped asking myself that question this week. It's a great question. Nez Peacock said to me that he felt guilty when he returned back from Panama City having gone down there to help his mom and dad try to get back to some kind of normal life. They had significant damage to their home and to their properties. And uh, he did a whole lot while he was down there. There's so much more to do. It's hard to go one time and get everything done that needs to be done. You do your best with the time and resources that you have but then you feel guilty when you leave. And having been there now, I think I understand what Ness was talking about. Because I'm having some of the same feelings and thoughts that he shared with me. Nonetheless, I am home. I am where I belong. And I'm thankful that Smithville is my home. And, and I'm thankful that you're my spiritual family. And it's good to be back. It's good to be among my family today, and I want to thank you who are my church family for how you responded to my heart's request. And I want you to know that you did a very good job, you, you did well, you've done everything we asked you to do and you did it really well. You, you did what we asked you to do, we asked you to pray and, and you prayed and I know you prayed because we had a safe trip outside of Miss Shelley running over an alligator, I don't think anything else happened. And if you want to know more to that story, just ask Ronnie or Eddie or Donald or, you know, Tracy or some of them. Uh, no mishaps on the road. I, I prepared, I took 15 tire plugs thinking I was going to need them. I didn't need a one. We had no flat tires while we were down there. You prayed. We had, we had no injuries. God kept us safe while we worked. And, and we, had, we had a few scratches, a few bruises, a few little cuts. But nobody on the team was injured, and and trust me, we did some really dangerous work. I mean, tree work is dangerous work. When you're working a chainsaw, it's very dangerous, and and so there and, and there was debris. If you saw the little loop uh, video before, uh, there's there's just damage everywhere. There's debris everywhere, and so you're you can't help but step on it. But nobody stuck a nail in their foot, and I mean, we we were very blessed. God protected us, and. That's evidence that you prayed. You also gave, we asked you to give and you gave. I I want you to know that there were around $3,000 given in gift cards and in in cash. And we turned those into gift cards and we were able to give those out. Um, We used some of that money to help teachers in one particular school uh, who had been displaced. They're actually having to meet in another school and every teacher, I think there were 48 of them, had lost everything, all of their supplies, everything on their bulletin board and they're going into a new environment. And so we we were able to help them with some of that and and they were deeply appreciative. But we also gave the remaining cards to uh, Delton Bill, who is the director of SBC disaster relief in the state of Florida. And he's gonna use those to give those to hurting people and people who have a lot of needs and so they're gonna be greatly used. and. Oh, one particular day, Joyce, I think it was the third day, we'd been driving by this particular home. I saw it every day when we went by, and I couldn't drive by it again. I had to stop. And what got my attention was that the whole front of this house was pretty much open. When we stopped, we went and we, we talked to the lady. Her name was Sandra. And Sandra's first words out of her mouth was, well, Michael came in the front door and went out the back. With a little shotgun, paper mill, paper house. And, and literally, you could see from the front of her house because it was open. And you could see all the way through the house, there wasn't any ceiling, uh, ceiling text, uh, or any roofing inside the cover. You could see the trusses. She'd even taken somebody's blown down privacy fence and drug it over and they had kind of nailed it across the front of the house to replace her wall that was missing and her door that was missing and so this fence is across the front of her house and then there's quilts and there's blankets hanging from the, the truss inside down to cover to give them a little bit of privacy and the fence to give her security we shared some gift cards with her and we prayed with her and i can't help but think you know while she had a little bit of privacy and a little bit of security what's it going to be like for her when it gets cold she didn't have much well you prayed and your pray your prayers were were beneficial they they mattered and you gave gifts that made a difference and and i, I just thank god you know you, you You did what we asked you to do you you also went. we talked about that um, and 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 i I thank God for the team that you sent that that team formed a way the way God wanted it to form. We had the right people doing the right things, and your team represented you very well. they represented god 's kingdom well we uh We worked on a house the the second day, Mr. Ken and his wife, she was, he was 84 years old. They lost everything. He said, Pastor, you have no idea how much talent you have on your team. Trust me when I say this. We all, each of us, totally worked outside of our comfort zone down in Florida. Harvest knows how to build things. <laughs> we, we know how to build. Give us some raw material and we can build you something. And so all of our mission trips typically revolve around construction of some kind. But we didn't build anything while we were down there. Other than the relationships that we built. We built some brand new beautiful relationships with people like uh, Sonny and Danny and Paul. Three guys that we met. Um, The bulk of what we did involved clearing and removing messed up stuff. Stuff. Things like trees, that, I mean, if you want some firewood, I know where well there's plenty. You can cut to your little heart's content because there's just trees everywhere. I heard there were $4 billion worth of timber damage in the state of Florida, in the Panhandle. Um, we moved things like trees and sticks and limbs and tin and, and metal and glass and shingles and, and walls and wood and fence, I mean, you name it, we saw how Wind can destroy it. The very last thing we did Thursday, we, we, we went to Mr. Ken, we were at Mr. Ken's house. We were working on his property and removing trees. And the very last thing that we did was we ripped out all the carpet in the house because there had been a tree limb that fell in the middle of the house and crushed the roof, and and the house filled up with water. So now you got mold issues, and and so. We removed all of his carpet along with all of their furniture. you got to understand, this is an 80-plus-year-old couple, and everything that they own is in this house. And we drug it all out into the driveway, and, and Ronnie took, and there's a, there's a picture of this. You see that big grappling hook or claw? Ru- Ru- that was on the front of the tractor. Ronnie was at home. By the way, Firehouse Subs donated that tractor to Florida Disaster Relief. Bought it and gave it and said, use it, wear it out. And Ronnie drove it all day long. The day before, we had another guy, Paul, drove it for us. But can you imagine watching your, your life savings, your furniture piled up, and then Ronnie come up and, and take that grappling claw and crush your couch and your tables and, and everything you had in the house, pick it up, drive down the lane, get to the end of the road, and dump it beside the road for it to be hauled away to a trash dump. It blew us away. I, I can't imagine having that happen. Team, I want to I thank you, each of you, because not only did you do a lot to help the people of Panama City, but you, you did a lot to help mine and Joyce's family. We did a little bit of work for them. Most of their stuff was either done or had to be waiting, you know, waiting on other things. But I want you to know that you encouraged our family. You, you gave them hope, hope in God, hope, hope in humanity because you were there doing something that they had no expectation that anybody would ever do for them. The little things like putting a box fan on top of an air-conditioned unit that didn't work. MacGyver was at work. (laughs) You helped a lot of hurting people. The really big question now is what's next? I, I need to figure out how I address the growing burden that's in my heart. You're gonna hear more about this as I go through this message. As I deal with this every day, uh, there's a part of me that says, well, you've already been and you've done your part. But there's another part of me that says, no, you can go do more. There's more to be done. And trust me, there will be work down there for two to five years. Delton Bill, who is the director of Southern Baptist work there in the... Uh, the state of Florida, for disaster relief. He, he came and he met with Joyce and I on Friday morning, him and his wife, Jeannie. And, and one of the first things Delton said to me was, he said, have you ever seen so much devastation? And, and I, I haven't. I, I've seen tornadoes come through that have done that much, but not on that scale. Down there, it looks like there was a 1,000 tornadoes that came through at the same time. It looks like God took a lawnmower and mowed down pine trees. They're cut off about 10 to 12 feet off the ground. And there's just stubs sticking up and the tops are gone for miles. There are thousands of homes that have been destroyed and damaged. There there are probably, on 80 to 90% of the homes in that area, there are blue tarps. Some just one tarp, some the entire house is tarp. A lot of the businesses are closed. Their signs are gone. Road signs are laying on the ground because the wind blew the sign down, bent the pole. Either it's gone or it's bent. A lot of the businesses will never open. There, there, there's a little hardware store just down the road from uh, Emmanuel Baptist Church where we were meeting every day. Boyette and Casey Hardware Store. They, they, they started in 1958. And and if you needed something, you didn't go to Lowe's. You went to Boyette and Casey. The the, the motto is, if, if you can't find it at Boyette and Casey, you don't need it. They're closing. Half the schools in Bay County have had so much damage that they're no longer able to meet in their facility. So they're sharing facilities with other schools. They're double schooling, if you please. And guys, then there's the churches. The churches. My guess is at least 80, maybe as high as 90% of the, the churches that are in Bay County have not had a worship service since Michael came through. Think about that. Try to imagine what it would be like if our building was damaged so bad that we could no longer come in here and worship on any given day. Guys, at least we've got insurance. I found out while I was down there that the majority of the older churches, none of them have insurance. You want to know why? They can't afford it. So how in the world are they ever going to rebuild? The stark reality is that churches that I grew up seeing and being around When I was a kid, some of them are going to be pushed to the ground because they have no means to rebuild them. Not unless God performs a miracle. I want you to hear me in this. Seldom in Scripture do we find God performing miracles that he doesn't do it through his people. I believe in miracles. So I don't know what God's going to do. What can we do to help these people? What can we do to help God's people? I'm praying, God, what do you want me to do beyond what we've already done? And that was my prayer Monday morning when I got up. And and, and I just continued to pray that prayer. What can I do? As I got up Monday morning, one of my scripture verses for one of my devotions was in Luke 18. I want to read that scripture to you. Luke 18 verse 1 says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. And a, a widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy." But the judge ignored her for a while. But he finally said to himself, I don't fear God, nor do I care about people. In other words, (laughs) I do what I want to do. He said, but this woman is driving me crazy. Can you imagine that? (laughs) I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with their constant request. Remember, this is, this is a parable about prayer. Look at what the Lord says in verse six. The first three words, learn a lesson. Did you see that? If, if you don't have that underlined, underline that. Learn a lesson. Jesus is teaching, this is a teaching point. He's trying to teach us about prayer. He's trying to teach us what to do when things get rough. He says, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice or an answer to the prayers of his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? He says in verse 8, I tell you, he will give justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, that's Jesus, how many will he find on earth who have faith. In other words, God's going to do his part, but what about you? Folks, when Jesus returns, is he still going to find people expressing their faith through their prayer life? When Jesus returns, will there still be people of faith? Will there be people who are praying? When Jesus comes, will we still be praying? Why do I ask that question? Well, it's because and, and you're not going to want to hear this. And, and I know, you, you know you'd rather me talk about something else. But before Jesus returns, if I understand my Bible correctly, life on earth is going to get really, really bad. We don't want to hear that. And when I say bad, I'm talking about far worse than what happened in Panama City, what happened in South Carolina, or what's happening in California right now. And Jesus clearly warns us that that is yet to come. But it's coming. How do I know? Matthew 24. If you've got your Bibles, turn there with me. Matthew 24. I want to begin at verse 1. Matthew records a day in the life of our Lord when he says, As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, His disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. As I read that scripture the other day, I thought about driving through Panama City and seeing all the different church buildings, one after another, every one of them destroyed to some degree. In verse 2 it says, but he told them, do you see all these buildings? I assure you that they will be so completely demolished that not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the slopes of the Mount of Olives and his disciples came to him privately and asked, when will all this take place? And will there be any signs ahead of time to signal your return and the end of the world? You won't find any politicians talking about those two subjects. The return of Jesus or the end of the world. They're telling you everything's gonna be okay. But guys, it's not. Jesus went on to say, don't let anything mislead you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah. They will lead many astray and wars will break out near and far, but don't panic. Yes, these things must come, but the end won't follow immediately. He says the nations and kingdoms will proclaim war against each other and there will be famine and earthquake in many parts of the world but all of this will be only the beginning of the horrors to come. Now look at verse nine. You say, well, I think that probably already took place. Well, read verse nine. It says, then you will be arrested and persecuted and killed and you will be hated all over the world because of your allegiance to me. Who's Jesus talking to here? He's talking to the church. He's talking to the church past, present, and future. He's talking to a church that's not yet been raptured. So this happens before, I believe, the rapture takes place. And he says, and many will turn away from me and be and, and, and betrayed uh, and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will lead many people astray. Sin will be rampant everywhere. Boy, that fits today. And the love of many will grow cold. You know, I hate to say it, but Christianity in America is on the decline. Do you see the parallel here? He said, but those who endure to the end will be saved. Not that enduring to the end will save you, but if you're saved, you will endure to the end. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then finally the end will come. There's an end coming, folks. He said the time will come when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object, that causes desecration, standing in the holy place. Notice he says, reader, pay attention. Am I reading this to you today? Are you following me? Then we need to pay attention. He said, then those in Judea must flee to the hill. Hills, a person, he says, outside the house must not go back inside to pack. A person in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it would be for pregnant women and for mothers nursing their babies in those days and pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Verse 21 says, For that will be a time of greater horror than anything that the world has ever seen or will ever see again. That tells me it's still yet to come. We haven't seen this yet. He said, In fact, unless the time that time of calamity is shortened, the entire human race will be destroyed, but it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Friends, the whole passage that is given to here by Jesus was done so to help us get ready for the return of himself. He's coming back. And, and you need to take this warning serious. You need to get ready. You need to get ready. Our world is literally a ticking time bomb. And God knows that. Because our God's in control. Not only do you need to get ready, but the church needs to get ready. All of us need to take serious the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and get ready. Everything Jesus tells us in Luke 18 is about what we need to do to prepare for his coming. And there are three things that just jump out at me. And the first is this. No matter how bad it gets, hold on to your faith. No matter how bad it gets, hold on to your faith. Jesus said, always pray, always pray and never give up. I I hate to say it, but the world is like that unjust judge who doesn't care about God, doesn't fear God, doesn't care about people. That's the world we live in and it's not going to get any better. But Christian, don't give up. Don't give up on God. Jesus is coming. He said that. He promised to return and God doesn't lie. Amen? He tells the truth. Hold on to your faith. Second of all, even in the worst of times, keep on praying. Be like the widow and wear God out with your prayers. Pray. Pray for yourself. Why? Because you need it. Pray for your neighbor. Why? Because they need it. Pray for the hurting people in the world. Pray for those that are uh, going through devastation and, and discouragement today. And pray for the lost. Pray for the lost people of this world. You know, the people of Panama City, the people of South Carolina that went through the flood, the people of California that are going through the fire, they are, they've lost and are losing so much but the greatest need they have is to find Jesus Christ. That's the greatest need they have. It is literally a dark place in Panama City. I got lost driving around in Panama City at night because all of those old landmarks that that I would see at night and knew were gone. The signs, the lights, and, and you drive around at night, it's just dark. But as dark as it physically is, it's nowhere near as dark as the spiritual darkness that is prevailing in that place. You wanna know something? Right up until the time the storm hit, do you wanna know where the largest crowds were gathering? Not in churches, in bingo parlors. You think I'm kidding you, but there's more bingo parlors being built down there than there are churches. I know one guy that years ago couldn't rub two nickels together and today he's a millionaire living in a $2 million home. Why? Because he has five or six bingo parlors. People want to strike it rich. They think they can be lucky and they can make it with a little gambling. I mean, people go and they buy lottery tickets by the handfuls. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when churches were packed on Sunday in Panama City. I I remember when Sundays and and Wednesday nights were sacred. When when I was growing up, you didn't play ball on on Wednesday afternoon, and you didn't play ball at all on Sunday. But guys, that mentality is gone. It's not here anymore. It's not here. It's not there. It's not here. It's, it's, It's gone. Hold on to your faith. Keep praying. No matter how bad it gets, keep praying. And expect God to answer your prayers. He he always does. That's what this verse says. It says, even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? How many times have you given up on God when God was... Answering your prayer. We probably don't know. God always answers the prayers of the faithful. Sometimes God says to you, no, because he knows what you don't need and he knows what you do need. Sometimes God says, wait, because his timing is better than ours. We think we know what we need when we, we think we need it. But God says, no, wait, for, wait a little while. Be better later on. Sometimes God will say yes, and he'll give you exactly what you pray for. But no matter how God answers your prayers, keep praying. Keep praying. That's what the scripture is all about. Keep praying. Do you remember how Augur prayed? Uh, I read his prayer to you out of Proverbs just about two weeks ago. I'll remind you by reading it again, Proverbs 30, verse 7. He prayed, O oh God, I beg two favors from you before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. And second, give me neither poverty or riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs for if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who's the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. I kept running into three kinds of people when I was down in Panama City. I ran into those people who were rich who were distraught and, and blown away and fearful of all that they'd lost and worried about even losing more, but also ran into poor people who really didn't miss what they lost because they didn't have much to begin with. But then I also ran into a few people who, who were strong in their faith and their, their faith in God was real and, and they didn't worry about what they had lost because it really wasn't that important to them. It was just stuff. They're the kind of people that have peace in God and peace with God. Peace in God, peace with God. You preached about peace the other day, brother. I I met some people who had peace. In John chapter 5, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. For as my father has life in himself, so he has granted the son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. Shortly after the hurricane. I had an opportunity um, to see a satellite view of the area where my mom and dad's old home was at. I was pretty uh, shocked that it was still standing. But I noticed that every pecan tree that my father planted back in the early 60s was laying on the ground. They were all down, big trees. And I noticed that one tree had fallen and it hit the corner of the house where my mom and dad had this little box or shed built on the side of the house that their hot water heater was in. And it it kind of crushed the roof and the door on that little shed. And, and I, I, I thought as I looked at that picture I thought about the last time that my dad and I were together. And I I remember rebuilding that shed the year that my, my dad was diagnosed with lung cancer. And I remember my dad sitting in a lawn chair watching me rebuild that old shed. And we were having a conversation, and Dad was sitting there in his pajamas, watching me work. Which, you know, that was not my dad. But out of nowhere, my dad said, "Son, I just want you to know that I don't think I'm going to beat this cancer." And I said to him, "Dad, you have—you don't know that. You don't know that. Don't give up." He said, "Oh, I'm not giving up." He said, "Son, I just—I just." I just sense that I'm not going to beat it this time, but I want you to know it's okay because I am at peace with God and I'm ready to be with the Lord. Do you have that kind of peace? Do you want that kind of peace? Where, Where does that kind of peace come from? You think about it. Where does that kind of peace come from? My my answer to you is that, that it only comes from Jesus. You're not going to find it anyplace else. In the passage that I just read for you, John painted a picture of a belief in Jesus that moves a person from spiritual death to eternal life so that even when you're dying at the point of death's last breath, you can trust Jesus Christ and have peace in your heart with God. And I'm here to say that if you'll just trust Jesus, if you'll you'll believe in him and trust him, he will give you eternal life. What is eternal life? It's life with God that never ends. We, We have a hard time thinking that large, but eternal life is eternal. It never ends. Now folks, that's the first thing that John tells us that Jesus Said, But there's more to what Jesus said. In fact, he makes another statement that we often overlook. We just kind of read through it real quickly and we we miss the context. But here's what he said. He said, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment. Shall not come into judgment. Folks, that's a statement that's both beautiful and terrifying at the same time. It's clear from what Jesus says that based on what people do with Jesus, two kinds of people emerge from their encounter with the Lord. You have some that accept Jesus and receive eternal life. You have others that reject Jesus and receive eternal punishment. Based on that and the reality of that, There are several things that I pray for this morning in light of that truth and in light of what I saw in Panama City. First, I pray that many will come to find peace through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not not religion, but a relationship. I also pray that we as a church would find purpose and motivation in, in our hope through Jesus because Jesus is our hope, amen? He's our hope. But we need to find that purpose and know why we're here I also pray that we would be quick to share the hope and the resources that we have in Christ Jesus with other people. That's a huge prayer. Folks, that, that's what I call Biblical Economics 101. I mean, a sobering question for us all today is, why do I have what I have? Why has God given me what I Possess, Doctor Tony Evans said. The foundation of an economic view, a biblical economic view, grows out of God's kingdom agenda for His people and His world. He says this foundation reveals how God empowers His people for the righteous use of the earthly resources for profitable and moral, morally profitably and morally conducting business as His steward. In other words, God gives us what we have to do his work, to be good stewards of it, so the things that God has in his agenda for us to do gets done. If you look in your Bibles at the 8th chapter of Deuteronomy, you're going to find Moses addressing the children of Israel, the children of God, God's people, as they were about to enter the Promised Land, and, and he basically reminds them of two things. The first thing he says to them and he reminds them of is that he reminds them that of God's goodness that they've enjoyed all the way from their departure from slavery in Egypt until the present time, which was about 40 years later. The next thing he does is he warns them not to forget who, who provided for them throughout all those 40 years. When I thought about that the other day, I I said, what in the world was Moses concerned about? And God made it clear. I think Moses well knew the general nature of humanity. I think he knew what people do. You see, way too often we become like the unjust judge and we don't fear God and we don't care about people. Too often we live by that old mantra that out of sight, out of mind. And all we think about is ourselves. That happens way too often. You see, Moses feared that once the people moved in and settled into Canaan and started living a good life in the suburbs of Canaan land, that they would become a proud people. They would become self-centered, thinking only about themselves, and that they would forget that they had once been slaves. Do you remember what the Jewish religious leader said to Jesus when he told them, you are truly my disciples if you keep obeying my teaching and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free? I read that to you the other day. Do you remember what they said when he mentioned that word free? They went on to say, but we are descendants of Abraham and we've never been slaves of anyone on earth. What do you mean set free? Do you see that Moses' fear was realized? Exactly what he knew would happen, happened. Moses was also afraid that they would forget that the only reason they weren't slaves now was because God had given them everything they had. Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse 11. Moses writes, but that time, but that is the time to be careful he said, beware that in your plenty you don't forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands and, and regulations and laws. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied among, uh, w- uh, along with everything else, that is the time to be careful. He says, do not become proud. At that time, and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Thus you have, my friend, the principle of divine biblical economics that simply states everything that you have came from God and it belongs to God. God just lets us have what we have to use it for a little while while we're here on this earth. But it all belongs to God. Everything that you hold and have came from God and his goodness to you. And it's all been given to us to use for his purpose on earth. It's all for his kingdom agenda. In verse 15 of that same chapter in Deuteronomy, Moses goes on to say, do not forget That he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with poisonous snakes and scorpions. Where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness. And food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and and test you for your own good. He did it so that you would never think that it was in your own strength and energy that you made yourself wealthy. Always remember that it is the Lord your God who gives you power to become rich and he does it to fulfill the covenant that he made with your ancestors. You know, it's been said if you love God that you're going to love people. If you love God, you're going to love people. Sounds good. Sounds right. And you should. But you can show love for people without loving God worldly love and, and as I was thinking about what we did when we went to Florida that could have been the case down there we could have been doing that without really loving God I don't think that was the case but it could have happened the writer of Hebrews says it this way he says for God is not unfair he will not forget how hard you have worked for him or how you have shown your love to him by caring for other Christians as you still do Our great desire is that you will keep right on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. He says, then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and patience. The New King James Version says it this way, for God is not unjust to forget your work and the labor of love which you have shown toward his name. That's important. Friends, that's the key to the verse. That's uh, uh, the proper context of this verse. As Christians, we do what we do serving others for the name of Jesus Christ, for his name. In other words, by his grace, by his mercy, because of the salvation that he gives to us, we serve others in his name, in the name of Jesus. That's why we go and do what we do. It's not if we love God, but because we love God that we serve other people. Our service is in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Folks, we serve the poor. We serve widows. We serve orphans. We meet the needs of those who don't have. We minister to people who have lost everything because we know Jesus Christ and because they need to know Jesus Christ. You know, I told you the other day, we're all in a storm, coming out of a storm, or about to enter a storm. Storms come whether we like it or not. So you might as well look at the good side of a storm. And I would say this about Hurricane Michael. Praise God for the opportunities that Hurricane Michael has given us. Praise God. Do you know that Southern Baptists from across our country sent eight feeding trailers into Florida? They were there within three days. And they started feeding meals, hot meals. And they served hot meals up until last, up until this Wednesday, this past Wednesday. And in that time, Southern Baptists fed over 750,000 meals, hot meals, to hurting people. That's your cooperative gift of giving at work. Our church ties 11% off what you give every Sunday. It goes through the cooperative program to do God's work through Southern Baptist opportunities around the world. That food you help pay for. You help meet people's needs by your faithful giving. But there's more. There are Southern Baptists coming from all over the United States. The week we were there, they were from Ohio, Pennsylvania, you know, Texas, Arkansas, Alabama. This past week, there was a team coming from Alaska. Another team coming from Hawaii. Coming, they're scheduled to come all the way through the end of December and maybe on into next year to help hurting people. People coming to serve. Praise God as of last Friday, Friday was a week ago, when I met, met Delton. Delton told me this. He said, 74 lost people have been saved through the witness of Southern Baptist volunteers coming into Panama City. 74 lost people saved. Thought came to my mind. I wonder how long it's been if you could take some of these churches and put them together and calculate how many years has it been since they saw 78 people come to know Christ. Took a storm to save people. Praise God for a storm. Guys, it's not just about tarps. It's not just about trees. It's about telling the story of Jesus Christ to people who need to know him personally. That's what it's all about. That's the work of God. I mentioned Ness Peacock. Some of you know Ness personally. Jennifer, you know him. Keith, you know him. Been longtime friends of y'all's. Ness's mom and dad live about four miles from where my mom and dad used to live. And <laughs> he left immediately the day, after, the day after the storm and headed that way and spent time down there trying to help him. Came back and he knew we were going. He said, I can't go this week. In fact, Ness is down there right now. Uh, but he told me, he said, when you're down there, if you can go by and see my parents, just, just an encouraging word, don't need to do anything. The work's been done. Just, just encourage them. He said, I, I would deeply appreciate it. So um, Joyce and I went out there on Thursday morning. We pulled up in their yard, and obviously a, a, a lot of damage, a lot of destruction. Uh, we parked the car. It was raining. We walked up the driveway under the umbrella and rang the doorbell, and, and Miss Bobby came to the door, and she had a notepad in one hand and a cell phone in the other hand. And uh, she's busy talking to people because she's had a contractor out there three times. They put tarps on her roof, and her roof's still leaking. And and she's the wife of a commander. So you, you ladies in the military, you, you military wives, you understand what I'm saying? With she had taken control. She was trying to get that mess fixed up, and 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 she was she was in charge. And so. We walk in the door and we go into the kitchen. She sits, seats us at the table and, and the phone just keeps ringing and she's writing things down. The phone's ringing and she's writing things down. And I, I think at one point she said, you know, I'm really glad you guys are, are, have come and, and, and I thank you for coming. But, and I'm thinking, she's speaking to tell us she's got too much to do to have us there. So, you know, but then it, it kind of changed and, and the, the, the phone stopped. The phone call stopped. Joyce reminded me of this later. I didn't even realize what happened, but the phone call stopped. And, and she's talking to me, and, and at one point she says, You know, I, I believe in God, but I'm kind of angry with God right now. And I said, Miss Bobby, it's okay to be angry with God. It's okay for you to express your feelings to God. And she said, Well, she said, when I get to heaven, she said, if I get to heaven, I, I've got some questions for God. And I said, if you get to heaven, that's, that's the important. What if you don't get there? I said, do you even know how to get to heaven? And I, and I thought there for just a minute. She's, she's fixing to stop this. <laughs> but she focused on me. And she got still in her chair. She put the phone down and a pen down. And she says, no, I don't. I said, do you want to know? And she said yes. And I began to share Christ with her. And tell her how to accept the Lord. And how to be saved. And I told her real quickly what to do and how to do it. And and I invited her to invite Christ into her heart by praying. Romans 10, 13 says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I I shared that with her. I said, Miss Bobby, would you like to be saved? Would you like to know that you're going to heaven? She said, yes. I said, will you pray with me? She said, yes. She prayed. She invited Christ into her heart. 82-year-old lady. I said, now you need to tell your son. She hugged us. She's not a touchy-feely person from what I understand. Des told me that. She hugged me and Joyce both. And, and we had a little bit more conversation, and, and, and we finally left after about an hour and a half. That was a long, much longer visit than I thought we were going to get to have. But she, she, I told her, I said, I, I want you to tell your son what you did. And I knew she wasn't going to do that because she didn't know what to say. And uh, so I, I, I told Ness just the other day, I said, do you know what your mom did when, you were, when we were down there? And, and he said, no. I said, and I told him, and he just cried. And I said, you need to talk to her. So he did. And, and their first conversation, this is what she told him. I have found Peace. It's not about trees. It's not about tarps. It's about telling people about Jesus so that they can have peace. Do you have that kind of peace? Do you want that kind of peace? Where does that peace come from? It comes from Jesus. And you either have Jesus in your heart or you don't have him in your heart. If you don't have him, you can have him just like Miss Bobby now has him. Because he comes into us through our invitation to him. He sets outside and waits. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you'll open that door, I'll come in. And I'll sup with you and you can sup with me. I'll live with you and you live with me. That's my question to all of you today. If you don't have Jesus, will you take him? Because you don't know when a storm's coming. Are you ready? You don't know when he's coming back. Are you ready? Ronnie's going to come. There's going to be an invitation time. The invitation's for you to trust Jesus. That's the most important thing you can do today. If you haven't done that, please do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the storms of life that help us get to the end of ourselves. That help us to realize just how needy we are. Thank you, Lord, before the storms come, you know our needs. You knew you knew what we were going to need before the foundations of the world were ever put in place. You know we need Jesus. Lord, I pray for each and every person here today. Some already know you. And because they know you, they need to share you with other people. They're hurting people who are lost that need Jesus in their heart. Please, God, give us boldness as Christians to share, to pray, to share, to give, to go. Help us to be stronger in our faith. I pray that you find us as people of faith when you return. Lord, I also pray for anyone here in this room, and there are some who do not know you as Lord and Savior. They may have been religious, but there's no relationship. They don't have peace about tomorrow. Lord, please save their souls change their lives set them on a new course give them hope be their hope Father do your work Holy Spirit move Lord Jesus save in your precious name I pray Amen Amen. let's stand and I ask you to respond to the Lord not to me but if there's a need in your heart I ask you to come make peace with God Please, you come today.